The following podcast contains alcohol-enhanced conversations about alcohol, as well as a potential for discussions about other topics of dubious, disturbing, possibly offensive, but usually hilarious interest. The opinions stated herein are solely of the person stating them, and any endorsement of these opinions by any other party is not implied. Foul language is likely, but intolerant viewpoints are not. Listener intoxication is advised. Hello and welcome to the fourth Whiskey Tangent Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Ed. And this week, after taking a break last week, in which we discussed two whiskey events that we went to, we're going to get back to what's becoming a theme with us is comparing two whiskeys that have the same origin, the same mash bill, but very different tastes. And Ed is going to tell you what those whiskeys are. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, first of all, we're going to take Buffalo Trace, which is a, about a $30 in all the places we saw it this week, bottle of bourbon that is the flagship brand of Buffalo Trace distilleries. And we're going to compare that to a very interesting bourbon, Eagle Rare Tenure, which has had a storied and journey path that even we didn't realize until we started doing a little research for this podcast. So it's Buffalo Trace versus its older, inherited cousin, if you will, mm-hmm. Eagle Rare, both from the same mash bill proprietary buffalo trace distillery yeah they call it their mash bill number one i think it's like 10 percent rye but they don't tell us anything else about that we, Eagle, we figure right. it's all corn and malted barley yeah so it's probably at least 85 percent corn five percent barley at the most and 10 percent rye yeah so eagle wears 10 years i'm not really sure it was hard for me to find how old they age buffalo trace we know it's at least yeah, four years it right? doesn't say in the bottle it doesn't that i could see it's at least four years but basically from what i understand if you took buffalo trace and left it in the barrel for an additional six years that's eagle rare and that's what we're going to be comparing to see what's the difference what do you gain from the aging process because we talked earlier about how ngp and some of the newer distilleries are bypassing the traditional six eight ten year wait we talked about how basil hayden came off their certified eight-year age into just artfully aged, whatever the hell that meant. Mm. So we're going to really take a look at what we know to be the same whiskey. Only one is aged probably at least twice as long, right? Yeah, the 10 years versus at least four. So Buffalo Trace really drinks like a young bourbon. It's very alcohol forward. It has a lot of sweetness at the very beginning, but really not much else. Well, to your palate. Well, that's true. Other people um, taste stuff that only God can taste. <laughs> I don't know where tasting their brown sugar and notes I of no, and their uh, toffee, dark fruit, and anise. Anise. And anise. Be careful. <laughs> anise. A N I S. Your anise. <laughs> no, it's your anise. Um, oh, that's a planet, which is round, by the way. Right, flat earthers. That was two podcasts ago. <laughs> anise. Yeah, anise is that uh, licorice flavor. Right. Correct. Yeah. Eagle rare. On the other hand, having been aged twice as long, right on the nose, I smell a lot of cherry. And on the palate, sweet, but it's not cloying. It's just delicious when you compare them, which we did just um, right before we started recording. Absolutely. <laughs> Loved it. Best uh, part of the job. I mean, it was obvious which one was better. I mean, the Eagle Rare is a considerably finer drinking bourbon than the Buffalo Trace. Though the Buffalo Trace, it's a little bit, to me, if you're 
going to be pricing the Eagle Rare at a very affordable $34, $35. I mean, Buffalo Trace tastes more like a $26, $27 yeah, bourbon to I, me. It seems like Buffalo Trace is $5 too much. Yeah. And Eagle Rare is five dollars too less. Absolutely, Eagle Rare is a forty dollar bottle yeah. any day of the week. We talked about how Evan Williams uh, single barrel at around thirty two, thirty three might be the best single barrel you can get yeah. for the price. Ten year Eagle Rare might be the best ten year. It might be along with Elijah Craig because that's also around the thirty four, thirty five dollar mark. Is that a ten place. year? Or is that seven? No, seven? it's ten years. That's a ten year. Elijah Craig, yeah. I believe, is a ten year. If I'm mistaken, I apologize. But mm-hmm. uh, when I drink Eagle Rare, I taste oak first, mm-hmm. corn. Mm-hmm. I'm tasting. Um, a nuttiness, maybe an almond. I'm not really sure. I actually taste a little bit like a way leather smells. Huh. You know, on my nose, I smell yeah. like almost like a leather smell. The sweetness of a honey. It's certainly more complex than uh, the buffalo juice. Absolutely. To- yeah. Even, yeah, I've heard people say they have toffee and orange peel. I didn't taste any necessarily orange peel, but I can see that. It's a very good, good bourbon. I'm happy that we're doing it. So t- talk a little bit about the company. You know, we like to give histories on the distilleries. We've talked about many different ones. What's the history of the Buffalo Trace? Where do they come from? Yeah, uh, Buffalo Trace and Eagle Rare are both currently distilled by the Buffalo Trace Distilling Company. But they have a long and rich history that goes back to the Revolutionary War era. They currently produce. It's a long list, so forgive me for clicking on the but internet. You're but you're going to be really surprised. It reads like all of the whiskeys that you see when you go to the liquor store. So you got Buffalo Trace and Eagle Rare. You have George T. Stagg. You have the Colonel E.H. Taylor. You have Pappy Van Winkle. You have Stagg Jr., Blanton's, uh, W.L. Weller, and all of these people that you're hearing and all those names, they all either owned or worked for or were the master distillers or invested in this distillery in its history. On their website, they go back to 1771 to make mention that Daniel Boone passed on what was called the Buffalo Trace, which I guess was like a trail through Kentucky. The real history starts in 1870, where Colonel E.H. Taylor bought a distillery that was built on the land. And then from there, George T. Stagg purchased it. It was purchased by another company. There was a fire. There were floods. Locust. Locust. Uh, Albert Blanton, who uh, Blanton's is named after, um, he ends up becoming the master distiller at a certain point. That was in 1897. Then, of course, Prohibition comes and goes. They're all one of only four distilleries left in Kentucky because, you know, they all sort of went out of business. Did they work during Prohibition? They- I read somewhere that they were open and producing whiskey for medicinal purposes. Which- that, right. That's a prescription you wanted to have in the 30s. Yeah. And back then, th- that was an actual thing. Oh, yeah. Like doctors uh, would prescribe. Uh, well, yeah, medicinal some- marijuana now. So, 100 years later, <laughs> line true. up. It's medicine. Get your prescription. It's medicine for me, that's for sure. <laughs> Hard day at work. I'm a teacher, so mm. it's not medicine for me. <laughs> not since, like, Bush Sr. was president. Right. <laughs> Uh, so Elmer T. Lee joins the distillery in 1949. So you see all these names and this vast history for this company. It's one of the ones that we've been able to research for this podcast whose history doesn't sound like bullshit. Because a lot of whiskey now with the MGP and they're trying to craft uh, an Old West uh, vibe that maybe they really can't. They're, they're cashing checks that they can't. Wait, what's that? Who's what's that? that expression? Yeah, they're, right. Cash. They're writing checks that they, they can't, can't cash. cash. Right. And who is that you're saying? Is that? Uh, Bullet. Uh, okay. You know, Diageo, the, the MGP. Right. You know, even though they have the history of their own, it's not the history that they're saying that they have. Correct. But this honestly is. Now, Buffalo Trace itself was not introduced until 1999. So we're, I'm not saying, and they're not saying that it goes back that far, but the company does under different names, under different people. The Sazerac Company now owns the Buffalo Trace distillery. Eagle Rare, in fact, was bought from Seagram's, created in 1975 by a member of the Bean family. 
Right. So the Beam family, who are known as master distillers in both their Jim Beam company, as well as Heaven Hill, which has had a Beam family member as their master distiller for their entire- It's so interesting. It's The, the industry uh, it seems very incestuous, almost. Like, mm-hmm. all of the, the, these names just keep coming up again and again, and they all have influence and effects on each other throughout history. Right. Eagle Rare was created by Beam as a completely different spirit than what we have today. The name Eagle Rare was on, was a 101 101- Proof. Yeah, it was Eagle Rare 101, um, and it was produced to compete with Wild Turkey 101. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, like, you're jumping into that genre. Just let them have it. <laughs> let Wild Turkey be. Well, Wild Turkey 101 is actually pretty good. I've had it. Uh, it's true. But I feel like once you whore yourself out as a with Old Crow or Wild Turkey, like, it's a shame. To me, Jim Beam itself is a smearing off of bourbons. It's very mixable. It's very easy to work with. But it's not good by itself. And they made that their flagship brand because they sell the most of that because people mix more than they drink on the rocks, I think. Um, same thing with Jack Daniels, Jack and Cokes, right? You know you drink famous for that. And it's almost like what I think we feel about Buffalo Trace. It's fine to drink on its own, but I don't, you know, yes. I don't think you really want to. If I walked into a bar and there was Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, and Buffalo Trace, I would order Buffalo Trace on the rocks. Yes. But it also would probably lend itself to being a very good mixing bourbon, like for Old Fashions or Manhattan. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this, because uh, Buffalo Trace and Eagle Rare, they come from similar origins, but they taste so different. But they're so close in price that if you have- Three five, more dollars. Yeah, three more dollars. Absolutely go for the Eagle Rare. I found the Eagle Rare today for $32.95. Scott it's, found the Buffalo Trace for $29.95, which is the exact price I had at the liquor store that I was in. So you're talking about a $3 difference. Now- that's cheap. I'm not going to lie. Eagle Rare yeah, usually cheap. is close to the $35, $36. Yeah. But listen, if you're seeing a 41 42 then now we're talking about find eight more dollars change in your car and get a Blanton's. <laughs> <laughs> so Eagle Rare also manifested itself as a single barrel, the first single barrel bourbon ever we know of. And eventually the demand exceeded that, so it fell to the wayside and it became what it is today, which is tenure, which in the hurry up and get the bourbon to the marketplace mentality right now, the fact that Eagle Rare tenure is still kind of hanging out under the radar. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the only reason we can get it because once people kind of catch on to it, it's not going to be available. And like, then pretty soon it's going to be the uh, artfully aged like Basil Hayden because it's, it's not going to be able to age it for 10 years. Yeah. Like you said, it drinks like a 40 or 40 plus bourbon. And I think it's better than a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you think about it, I mean, my gosh, I was 10 years younger when this was built. I mean, like, <laughs> I was 40 years old when this was put into the barrel. It drinks like I can taste my youth slipping away. I know. My, it tastes like me younger. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the Sarzerac Company, just so you know, they acquired the George T. Stagg Distillery in Frankfort, Kentucky. Right. And eventually renamed it in 1999 the Buffalo Trace Distillery. Which is when they released Buffalo Trace Bourbon. Correct. And then, I mean, they have their own rye, which I have not tried. Scott believes he tried it because he was in New Orleans. They're a mm-hmm. New Orleans-based company, but their corporate offices are in Frankfort, Kentucky, too. And they produce a cognac called... Sazerac. It's a local New Orleans variation of a whiskey cognac, if you will. And they use it as the main ingredient in a drink that's very wide known in New Orleans. Absinthe, uh, bitters, and sugar, and a little uh, garnish with a lemon peel. And mm. it's like the mint julep at the Kentucky Derby. Mm. And they are a uh, family-owned business. Now, the family happens to be owned by a billionaire, don't get me wrong. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> right. A, but right. it is It's his, a family. 
he he's a billionaire from selling liquor. Let's not get it twisted. The second largest liquor distribution company in America. He also owns the second largest beer distributor in America. And as of 2017, Sazerac has operated nine distilleries and has annual sales of over a billion dollars. Mostly selling like 300 discount brands. But mixed into that is some jewels like Eagle Rare, Blanton's, um, Patty Van Winkle. Pat, Pappy. Damn it! <laughs> why do I say Patty when it's I Pappy? I don't know. You oh, you know why? Because they own Patty Irish whiskeys. That's why I keep confusing it. Sazerac, the company, bought Patty Irish whiskeys <laughs> about two years ago. They also entered into a deal in 2016 with the Pappy Van Winkle Company. Ah, yes. To produce its Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve and their old Rip Van Winkle bourbon and rye at the Buffalo Trace Distillery. So that's a huge coup for them as well because those brands are considered extremely high-end. They are the elite of the bourbon world right now. Yeah, they're rare and they're expensive. There's the 10-year, the 12-year, there's a reserve rye, a 15-year, a 20-year, and a 23-year. They're made from the um, weeded mash bill. Buffalo Trace has four different mash bills. A weeded one, two different corn and rye based, the one and the two. The two is a little bit higher rye, and they have a fourth one. They have so many whiskeys. It's astonishing to me. While we're talking about extensions on a brand, Eagle Rare has a 17-year, okay, which I've never tried. It's very, very hard to find. I'm sure it's amazing, but hold your horses. I also found out there's something called Double Eagle Very Rare, which is a 20-year bourbon whiskey. Featuring two beautifully sculpted crystal glass eagles in a nice double eagle decanter. I wonder how much that is. That's going to be a couple of dollars. <laughs> I would like to try it. Uh, just like we found out at the when we went to the whiskey tasting, Elijah Craig has an 18 and a 23 year, which I'd like to try sometime as well. Because once you've tried a brand, if you will, a 10 year eagle rare, you wonder... What would the difference be? We already see the difference between a four to six year Buffalo Trace and a 10 year Eagle Rare. What would it be at the next level? Uh, what, what does the 17 year go for? Um, the 17 year, I mean, I'm seeing it here for $1,500. Wow. Which is, is crazy. So I'd rather drink two bottles of 10 year for $70. Oh, I just, <laughs> oh, I just clicked on a YouTube video about the double Eagle, very rare, the 20 year old. Oh, that's exciting. But there's, I can't see any prices for that one. Well, they don't even have prices up, so it's that rare. You can't buy it. That's how rare it is. You can't buy it. And like (laughs) I said, we talked about Midwinter Night's Dram by High West. Not really able to order and purchase that. They kind of allocate it to bars and and stores and restaurants that have ordered enough High West throughout the year. So I did a fun thing, which I think maybe you should try. What's that, Scott? Uh, And you, if you're listening. Yeah, the four um, of you. The four of you who are listening right now. 4,000 or 40,000, we're not sure. If you go to the Buffalo Trace Distillery, Dot com. Go to the website. Do it now. I'll do it now. Yeah, you're going to do it now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gonna, we're going to walk you through it. Okay. Um, right. I just thought this was really cool. So go up to the top. It says craft your own. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of like an interactive craft your own perfect bourbon based on the things that you like. Okay. And then I hit begin. Yeah. Can't wait to see what this does. I'm so excited. Recipe. All right. Okay. So there's a slider and it's oh, I see. first you're choosing your uh, grain recipe. Oh, I went. So I went. you got about 5% malted barley. Um, you can choose wheat or rye and then you can adjust how much wheat and or rye oh, okay. versus the corn that you have in there. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's pretty cool. If oh. You, yeah. So 
Ed is chosen about 60% rye, which means about 35% corn. Far less spicier than rye, the gentle flavor of wheat allows for a mild and somewhat sweeter bourbon. So when you make your choices, it tells you kind of what the taste profile is going to be of your whiskey when you do it. So then uh, if you're satisfied with the recipe that you chose, then you hit next. So now you're going to make the whiskey. Uh, Watch your recipe transform into a crystal clear spirit called White Dog. This kind of just gives you the science and the whole process behind making whiskey. So they tell you that you're milling in the grain, you're cooking the grain, you ferment it, then you distill it, then you go to the barrel charring. Right, then you got to warehouse it. Then you go to the warehouse and then you have to pick the level of the warehouse that you want to store it on. And it tells you that the higher one has the most temperature gradient. So you're going to get a lot of uh, absorption of the whiskey into the wood and squeezing out of the liquid that was absorbed into the wood when it was warm. When it's colder, the whiskey comes out of the wood and goes back into the barrel and that's how you get all the flavors from the wood. And I can age it up to, I'm going to age mine 12 years. What do you think? You can do whichever you, all right, we'll whichever you like. Out. Oh, proof. Right. So the aging is done and then you get to add Kentucky limestone water to it. I want it to be right there between 90 and 99. So it says your results. You've crafted a daringly spicy and somewhat sweet whiskey that's dry with notes of hints of leather and aromatic cloves. It's rich in flavors and easy to enjoy with an unforgettable finish. Your whiskey would be ready in 2031. Jeez, I hope I'm alive to drink my whiskey. So what's great about it is not only does it take you through the whiskey making process, it lets you choose variables to show you uh, how different a whiskey can be depending on those variables. And then at the end, it tells you which whiskey is like the one that you virtually created. That's wonderful. It's really actually a lot of fun. I suggest you do it. It is on. It's on uh, the Buffalo Trace. Go to Buffalo Distillery.com. At the top, it says create your own. It's a fun process to go through. Do it while you're drinking a bourbon, too, like we did. Yes. (laughs) Actually, always do everything while you're drinking a bourbon, except driving, of course. No. Well, I feel you can drive with your first one, but that's me. We know it's not legal. It's not legal per se. We know it's not legal. But you're not a DUI at one drink. It's just like an open container fine. So if you're willing to risk $500 for a drink, you're a better man than me. But you can technically do it. Okay, so I was reading. Your first one. Yeah. I was reading okay. a, a while good. ago this good. was, and it, and it came, yes, good. it's very good, Scott. <laughs> good, because people don't read anymore. They just kind of cut and paste. So I read an article recently. No, not recently. I read an article a while ago. I just came across it again recently. Okay. Pairing Girl Scout cookies with whiskey, which <laughs> at the time I thought was brilliant. It's a brilliant idea. It's hey. great. But you know what? Fuck that. Fuck Girl Scout Whoa. cookies. Fuck Girl Scout cookies. Fuck Girl Scout cookies. All right. For, this for, should be good. Why? For What's two, the problem? For two reasons. One, they're annoying. They're everywhere. They're in front of gas stations. So Girl Scouts are in, the children are annoying? Just the whole process. Okay. It's, it's, it's not the children. I'm not hating on the children. Well, oh, wow. okay. okay, partially, but only the select few. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. If the girls are standing there in their little outfits and they're adorable and they're appropriately dressed because it is winter and their parents are there and they have a little table, that's fine. I can walk past them. I don't feel judged for not participating in their commerce. Don't you like America? <laughs> yeah, but am I communist? Oh, yeah, but they're everywhere right now. Gas stations and convenience stores. And work. Don't, forget work. don't forget work. They're, they're at Our work. parents are at work bringing them in. At Absolutely. Yes. They're in the train station. So they are delicious, though, to a point. No, that's my second point, and I'll get to that. Okay. The, the cookies are crap. So oh, people are driving off the road. The five people listen to us are crashing their cars the, right now. The, there's a girl in the train station, and she's screaming her head off to sell these cookies. Screaming like she's being murdered. Her mother's nowhere to be seen. Her father, uh, no guardian. She's by herself with a small bag of cookies. 
was like, wow, these poor girls, there's, they seem to be, to me, exploited by a conglomerate that mm-hmm. makes crappy cookies. Like, these girls are not even making their own cookies. And they're only doing this so they can sell, I don't know, 800,000 to get a stuffed narwhal. And that's all they... <laughs> stuffed narwhal. <laughs> that's legitimate, because my friend at work who... Uh, yes, I bought two boxes of Thin Mints you have because to. Thin Mints are the only ones that are worth a damn. The rest of them are overly sweet, overprocessed, and taste like ass. Hater. <laughs> so that's my two problems with it. I don't know. Wow, How do you I, feel? I feel. I mean, I feel like as someone who's always been trying to drop a couple, the Girl Scout cookies come at a time when you, other than them, could go on a nice diet run. That is a third reason to not like so, them because you're. This is just after the holidays. Right. You're like, okay, I can finally take a break from right. the eating fest that was October, and, November, December. Well, let's go break it down. They start in the summer, barbecues and drinking too much. Labor Day comes. Right. There's hot dogs and hamburgers. Then you go to the the fall and it's it's football. football. Games. Games. Every Sunday with pizza and strombolis. October comes. It gets Halloween candy is stacked around all over the place. All the pumpkin flavored crap. Thanksgiving with the heavy car based everything. Flow slide into Christmas. The gobbler's back in Wawa. The gobbler back in <laughs> And then you slide in the holidays, Christmas, right? With plum pudding and fruitcake. Wait, wait, and, wait. Uh, oh, plum wait. pudding. I got into a Dickens novel. Sorry. <laughs> like just right. homemade cookies and Sub- turkey and more carbs and cookies. May I have some balls, huh? And cookies. Finally, so you break through, the, you get drunk New Year's Eve, you wake up, you no, have a big brunch then- breakfast, and then you're like, I'm done. It's January 3rd, I'm locking it down. Yeah, but you know, the problem is you got to give yourself a month to get out of that mindset. So all of January is like- No, but let's say you're doing good. Last two weeks January, you're doing yeah, good. Yeah, you're doing good. Two weeks. I, and then I, what I happens? I mean, lettuce and broccoli then, and boom. Then what happens? Super Bowl. Girl Scout cookies. No, oh, no, Super Bowl. Oh, the Super Bowl party. Like, yeah, right. And right. then the Girl Scout cookies And then right, like the day after Super Bowl, February 3rd, like just truckloads and cargo ships and container ships come flying into America <laughs> full of goddamn Girl Scout cookies. Right. And where are they coming from? Where are those crappy cookings coming from? Do you know? Do you know? Uh, that, look it up. I will I'm, look it up. But I will tell you this. I do know a lot about Girl Scout cookies. I'm very upset. Girl Scout cookies have a little bit of a local uh, flavor to them, um, being that we're based right in South Jersey, outside Philadelphia. Stop treating them like they're a whiskey. They're the not first, a whiskey. The <laughs> this first, is, this gonna, is not I'm going to break it down like they're a distillery. The <laughs> first known cookie sale for Girl Scout happened in 1917 in Muskegee, Oklahoma. In 1922, the Girl Scout magazine, The American Girl, suggested cookie sales as a fundraiser and provided a simple sugar cookie recipe from a regional director of the Girl Scouts. In 1933, Girl Scouts in Philadelphia organized Ooh. the first commercial sale selling homemade cookies. Homemade! At the windows of That's my the point. Philadelphia Gas Electric Company from 1933 to 1935. And then shit got real. <laughs> 1936... Girl Scouts of the USA began licensing commercial bakeries to produce cookies in order to increase availability and reduce lead time. And now, fast forward to 2018. Where they're made by Guatemalan children who are beaten within an inch of their life and they're paid two cents an hour. Absolutely not true. It's true. It's It's true. Fake news. I read it. That is fake news. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> can't even say that you can't. usually i'm the one that's inappropriate i don't even know what you're doing right guatemalan now. children they are made by little little brownie bakers a division of keebler <laughs> In 1998. In Guatemala. So the bottom line is this. They sold 200 million boxes 
of last year. Out of guilt. And $800 million in gross profit now. Out of guilt. So they're standing there and they, <laughs> you, so you, 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 you walk past them and they're in their adorable little outfits. They're so cute. of course you want to say, yes, of course I'll buy your cookies, but you know. But they're out there, they're, they're putting the time in, they're standing there. I, I've already bought boxes of cookies for my friend's narwhal dreams. Well, say no then. And so I, I just walk past, but then, then I get the passive aggressive thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Which in eight-year-old girl speak is, um, right, screw you, you old, bald, Greek, dried up. Cheap bastard. Cheap bastard. No, you're, exactly. right. you're right about that. That's how they feel about you. Um, <laughs> just, just for the sake of treating it like a distillery, Thin Mints Ooh, represent thin 25% the of only ones their worth sales. 50, 50. Wait, 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 wait. They do what? How much? How much? 25%. 50000000 million boxes of Thin Mints were sold. Wow. Uh, compared to the second place, 38 million boxes of Samoas, which is a, a little bit of a surprise. I thought it would be the, the, uh, hmm. like the peanut butter patties would be yeah, the next cr- one, but no, they're not. They're, they're crap. The I, Samoas I are also them. crap. You're a hater. Thin mints, good. All others, crap. Can't even, I even debate you with this. Like you, I never expected to, us to go off on the Girl Scouts today and their cookies. <laughs> no, no. They're again, to- again, I'm not, I'm, the girls are fine. No, you are. I, the girls are fine, except nope. the ones who who passively aggressively passive aggressively you. judge me. The eight year olds that cut your nuts off in the they're, middle of shopping. They're eight years old. Do I need that going to work? I don't need that. <laughs> you know, life itself is enough wow. to kick in the balls to not have an eight year old do it for you. Is my point. They have gluten free varieties now too. Oh God! Don't even get me started on the gluten free <laughs> thing. Uh, they, uh, they say bacon is gluten free too. It also, is. tea bags. You know, Whoa. lots of things. What well, not no, come from? Not that kind of tea bag. <laughs> There's, there's lots of things that are gluten-free. You don't need to say it on every fucking thing that is gluten-free. You don't need to say it's gluten-free. It's obviously not gluten-free. Gluten comes from wheat. If it doesn't have weed in it, like a water bottle or a tea bag, it doesn't have weed in it. It's got tea. Wow. Tea's not wheat. The cookies do have gluten, except for the <laughs> gluten-free ones, though. So anyway, to get back to the Girl Scout cookies and the pairings with the whiskey, okay. the Eagle Rare was paired with, um, I, I think it was the ones that had the chocolate on the bottom. Oh, the thanks a lot? Yes, the thanks a lot. That's what they said, mm. the Eagle Rare. I know, I shouldn't know. <laughs> ah. Some might say I shouldn't know that that's so quickly. <laughs> thanks a lot, <laughs> which is a delicious shortbread cookie on top with chocolate on the bottom. Scott's hatred aside. <laughs> it's a delicious cookie. And it's only 6% of their sales. It's the it's the Eagle Rare. <laughs> it's the Eagle Rare of Girl Scout cookies. cookies. Because it's underappreciated and undervalued. Um, the Thin Mint. Yes. Paired with. What? I can't wait to hear. Basil Hayden. Ooh. Wow. I mean, so. I, like, so I, like I need an excuse to eat either. One of my favorite whiskeys. either. With um, the only Girl Scout cookies that's worth the damn. Okay. I take it all back. Girl yeah. Scout cookies are fine. I'm actually mad that there's no Girl Scout cookies around right now to pair with Eagle Rare. <laughs> well, I had them, but they're gone because because uh, I'm a pig and I ate them. I mean, Thin Mints. You open up a sleeve of those and you look down and they're all gone and you're just sobbing. And the blessing is that Keebler does make a healthy collection of knockoffs because they own the oh, company. that's true. They have this thing called grasshoppers, which are like a poor man's thin mint that you can get at any time of the year. Are those made by Guatemalan children as well? They're not made by Guatemalan. They're, they're made by Keebler elves. Everyone knows that. Oh. It's the elves. They're yeah. like cousins of the Oompa Loompa. Pay uh, attention. That's, you know, a euphemism for Guatemalan children. Keebler elves. So we somehow, and this is 
stunning to us, everybody. We've been on the air with the cast today. We have um, the cast, the podcast. Oh, the podcast. I see. For, um, I thought you meant our, our complete cast of characters, <laughs> which is cavalcade Scott, of stars, which is Scott Ned. <laughs> um, and we are past the halfway mark of the bottle. We drank a half a bottle in an hour. I don't know how we did that because we're very close to having drank two thirds of the bottle. I, I don't, I don't see how that happened. However, in an hour, we did drink some of the Buffalo Trace, and also, so right, and that's still out here. We've each had about a third of a bottle right now, mm. which may have fueled my rant. Oh, yeah, because uh, dis- I don't want to defend. Scott does not hate eleven-year-old children. <laughs> Eight-year-olds, eleven-year-olds are fucking assholes. Eight-year-olds are fine. Um, I, I teach twelve and thirteen-year-olds, so I love them all most of the time. They're wonderful little. <laughs> <laughs> energetic minds seeking knowledge. We are in rare form. We are in eagle rare form. Eagle rare form tonight. Well, then maybe we should just end it right here. Yeah, I mean, we sure, certainly can. I think we drank enough. We had a birthday party to go to. And then bring the rest of the bottle with us. We're bringing the eagle rare. We're leaving the Buffalo Trace for uh, another day. Yeah. Uh, the rare is going to follow us out into the night. So thanks uh, for tuning in. It's a shorter uh, podcast for us tonight. Give you a chance to, to go do something fun like, I don't know, maybe drink a whiskey. Oh, oh what? That's crazy. Crazy talk. <laughs> Good night, everybody. See you later. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to check out our next episode, which is way better than this one. Oh, yeah. Also, follow and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash whiskey tangent and follow us on Twitter at whiskey tangent. You can follow me personally at that whiskey guy and follow Scott at giant cup of awesome spelled A-W-S-U-M just to be annoying. Hey. You can email us any questions, comments, or love at whiskeytangent at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us always at our podcast website, whiskeytangent.podbean.com.